Welcome back, finally, to This Week in the Ancient Near East, the podcast that takes archaeology exactly as seriously as it deserves. I'm still Alex Jaffe, and I'm still director of the Bob and Ray Institute of Archaeology at the University of Southern North Dakota at Hoople. Now that we're back, I am still joined, again, as always, by two real academics from real institutions— Professor J.P. Dessel of the University of Tennessee, and Professor Rachel Hallett of the State University of New York at Purchase. We're coming to you from the control room of the university's radiocarbon accelerator, situated safely in the hills outside the beautiful Hoople campus. This week, on our triumphant return to the airwaves, we take a look at the biblical site of Gezer, which is sort of southeast of Tel Aviv. This is a place where all three of us have some kind of connections, not least to our friends who undertook recent excavations and collected a new set of radiocarbon samples. These radiocarbon samples established a fairly complete chronology at the site from the Late Bronze Age into the Iron Age, which can be coordinated with the more firm Egyptian chronology, which includes such kings as Merneptah and Shishak. And thus, you guessed it, back again to the Israelites, King Solomon, and the rest of those guys. The dates themselves are surprisingly middle of the road for us scarred veterans of the chronology wars. But the real question is whether coordinating destructions attributed to Egyptians puts biblical history on some kind of firmer basis. Just what is history anyway, and is biblical history any kind of history at all, or just stories told by winners, losers, and ideologues? All I know is that we were promised the end of history, and, well, now look at us. Okay, um, does anybody remember how we actually do these? <laughs> Where's the manual? <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm flipping through the pages here to... Well, it took us long enough to figure out how the Zoom worked again, so I guess right. it's an auspicious start. Right, right. Um, okay, a, a lightning round. Um, very apropos and on on topic for, for a change. Um, favorite Iron Age king and why? <laughs> and it could be any, you know, the Iron Age is a big, it's a big place. It's a big town. Pick All one. Right. Rachel, you want to go first? Um, no, I can't come up with an iron. Okay, I'm, mine is easy because you know my my affinity has has moved north a little bit. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with Shupi Luliumush of uh, oh. of of Tyanat of Kunalua or Kanalia. It's pronounced so many different ways. <laughs> I like Kunalua because it sounds Hawaiian and it makes me want to go to a tiki bar. <laughs> it does sound Hawaiian. It's a very good point. Yeah, previously unsuspected links between the the northern Levant and Sorry, sorry, we cut you off too soon. <laughs> um, and and why? Just because of the name and its mulifluosity. Because of the big statue. Well, okay. ah, I mean, okay. how are you going to beat that? You can't beat. He that. does have a big statue. I mean, right. you know, I mean, if that, think of a big statue like that was ever found in the Southern Levant, it would be all over. These biblical archaeologists would be going so crazy, their heads would explode. Heads exploding, pop, 
popping off like <laughs> that's, that's really Christmas what we need. crackers. We, we do need somebody to excavate a nice in a secure context giant statue. That would make all the difference. Well, they have giant statues in Amman. Well, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. well, Which, I think it's it's a giant statue. <laughs> Well, no, there, there's a couple of them, and they're pretty big. They're like six-footers. Right, they are. <laughs> get, right? Some, get a little basketball team out of it. You know, Amon seems to be on a slightly different trajectory than the rest of, of these little states. Yeah. No, and that's uh, more more power to them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They, were take, they were obviously really figuring out how to leverage all the wealth produced by Wadi Fidan in a way that the Edomites never were. Right. <laughs> I want a statue. No, I want six of them. <laughs> All right, wait, you guys are getting, we haven't finished the lightning round. We need to get to our actual topic. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go with Hezekiah. Um, Hezekiah. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of interesting reforms, some archeological evidence for reforms. Um, kind of a prude. You know, what? Kind of a prude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's true. But I like I like how it all kind of plays out with with the war and so on. Um, so I'm like a bird in a cage. Like a bird in the cage, exactly. Mm. exactly. Yes, we 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 get that little little light motif that uh, that continues to the present. That's that's right, exactly, and uh, yeah, and it's nice historical extra biblical corroboration for a story told slightly differently in the Bible. So yeah. The tale is old as time. Uh-huh. What's yours, Alex? <laughs> the never-ending story. <laughs> um, I I actually have two. Um, okay. Well, but for different reasons. Uh, the first one is um, Sargon. Ah. <laughs> because I love the name Sargon. <laughs> yes. Um, because I had an English teacher in high school named Mrs. Sargon. <laughs> <laughs> And she was she was great. She was this little old English teacher lady, but she had us reading things like um, Eugene Ionesco's Rhinoceroses, mm. which and uh, Waiting for Godot, which was really pretty mind blowing to the whatever sixteen year old, seventeen year old me. Sure. Um, the real, the original Sargon. Not sure I'd want to beat him in a dark alley. Right. Um, but I think my favorite is is uh, King Solomon because he was a oh. player. <laughs> well, well, he'd like to be thought of as a player, whether he was actually a player or not. Well, exactly. But how many of these players are really players in the first place? <laughs> write this down. Write this well, down. Let's say that's a Snoop Dogg. That's right. Even though exactly. Even though he's not smoking, I'm pretty sure he's still eating. Um. Well, I I think he. Uh, I think that was like a little. A little uh, practical joke he played on everybody, saying I think was... it was a plug for a, 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 the establishment of a new edibles concern <laughs> that he's going to uh, have. So, so yeah, I mean Solomon, the ladies loved him, widespread <laughs> <laughs> reputation. Okay, very good, very good, good choice. Um, and what, anyway. what did Solomon write? The Proverbs, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so David wrote David's associated with the Psalms, right? Right. Okay. So, so Solomon was quite a Renaissance man. Yeah. Exactly. As was his father. Right. Right. His yeah. children and you know. Wow. Well, we Fine. can't re- we can't be responsible for our children, can we? No. <laughs> Certainly not. Yeah. <laughs> They're so, on their own. But Which what, brings us to Right. 
the setup to set this up someone has to set it up and it can't yeah. be me <laughs> well it could be me but then we'll never get there all um, right i'll i'll attempt it but you, I you try the setup i'll try the setup but then you'll have to enhance whatever we'll, inter we'll intervene you'll intervene right so um there's a recently published study um of radiocarbon dates from tel gezer and um the I do. I think they took like 35 seeds from different strata. They have a whole sequence, um, late Bronze Age through to Iron, the end of the Iron Age, I think. Well, and to the ninth century. To the ninth century. Okay. In this particular study. Okay. Did we should we give the name and a full shout out? Yes, oh, sure. Are we, are we doing that? Because do I have that. it right here. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's in the journal Plus One. Is that pronounced Plus or Plus? I think it's Plus. Plus, I, 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 we're I not responsible for the pronunciation. I think it's going in some kind of Esperanto-like mode. <laughs> the chronology of Gezer from the end of the Late Bronze Age to Iron Age two colon a meeting point for radiocarbon archaeology, Egyptology, and the Bible. They're sort of missing a comma after archaeology. Throw the Bible in there by uh, Lindell Webster et al. Including a shout out to a couple pals of ours. Sam Wolf, Steve Ortiz, Gary Arbino, fo some folks we don't know, but I'm sure they're very nice too. And yeah. So yeah. So what do we want to say about this? Well, Gezer. Well, first of all, should we say give a shout out to Gezer? Yes. We can Ooh. give a shout out to Gezer. Um, where we all have connections of, of and, a sort. And we should say that this article sets out the history of excavation of Gezer very nicely and um, sets out the uh, traditional chronology um, very nicely. Um, so Gezer is a That's big a nice site. <laughs> <laughs> and one of you can elaborate. Gezer, one of the sites that has, has had the hell excavated out of it. That's right. Man, just, it's a big site in the, in the Shvela in Israel kind of southeast Tel Aviv and boy did people whoop on it for yeah for generations including including people that we know with whom we have shall well, I say well, let's at least start with R.S. McAllister who right. excavated according to this something on the order of 60 percent of the site yeah um, <laughs> and that's just a, a real a real tribute to his industriousness right right nothing right. for the future well, right. the, the fund he was working for wanted results and they had oh, we want results, damn it. Yeah, exactly. They hadn't gotten enough results from the previous excavator who was very careful. And McAllister just decided to womp on down <laughs> and he trenched out walls and made several other mistakes. But trenched uh, out wall. He trenched out the entire... he dug big transects and put the fill from one transect into the one behind right. it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little maniacal, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Because yeah. I don't think anyone else was doing it that way. No. The well, there weren't that many people out there, but nobody else was yeah, doing but it. There that were way. people and no one was doing that. Well, and he had like 200 people out there. Yeah. 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 But year the, round. the British um, organization that he worked for, um, you know, they were pretty happy at the beginning because they, they were getting lots of results. That's right. And, and it's interesting. We want results, was, damn it. Yeah. And he was Irish working for the PEF, right? Right. Mm, right. That's true. Um, so we have a whole he, little, a whole little uh, intersection of, uh, you know, British colonial history right there. 
Absolutely. And mm. then he uh, never, I don't think after Gadsden, I don't think he ever excavated in the Near East again. I think he just went right. back to Ireland. He was exhausted. Right. <laughs> it was a lot of hard work. Right. Yeah, he didn't find anything commensurate <laughs> with all the work. Right. <laughs> you would have been too. You dug 60% of a one whopping size site. Right. right. But then um, the oh, site then. was excavated again in the 60s through 70s. Um, by someone that you two know very well. and I excavated with Bill Deaver there in 1984. Did I know that? Mm. I don't know if I knew that. That's exciting. Yeah, with lots of our lots of our friends. Mm, not me. Not you. No, they didn't let me come on board. Well. Oh, that's too bad. Had you even started by... 84? I started that fall. Oh, so. <laughs> yeah, well, whatever. Who knew? Oh, well. I actually took a bus out there. Um, <laughs> carrying your little gym bag with a little, with a little gym with bag change of clothing and I climbed up the tell just as you guys were like driving away for the day and I'm like wait <laughs> wait <laughs> but you didn't wait that's sort of a sad story it is sad yeah yeah well, what can you do anyway but so these excavations were large and ongoing for a long time and established a pretty good chronology uh, for the site. Um, but that wasn't enough until Pals of Ours went back, what, in 2000, or was it? Something 2006, like I think. Or thereabouts, and spent another 1,700 years <laughs> digging with tweezers and stuff. Yeah. Very finely, finely they grained. Did a very nice job. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and I and they found they found a lot of in situ material, which was the most amazing thing. <laughs> All the stuff that had been hiding from McAllister and from, right. and from and from uh, Deaver at all. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In but, the interstices. So here's one thing we should say just to finish finish contextualizing. <laughs> um, so so there's this passage in the Bible which talks about Solomon building these store cities. So he he did something in Jerusalem, and then he built up um, Megiddo, Hatzor, and Gezer. And um, archaeologists found um, some monumental architecture, um, specifically fortifications and gates in these uh, three sites that are remarkably similar to each other. And they all said, um, oh, this is um, the quote-unquote, Solomonic uh, strata with the six-chambered gates and the casemate walls. And there's been um, a debate in chronology for the last 20, I'm going to say 25 years, about whether this is correct. These should be attributed to Solomon or they should be attributed to Ahab, a slightly later king. So um, so that's kind of been the big the big um, chronological debate surrounding Gezer and these other sets. Right, because that's the whole ass backwardness <laughs> principle right. that has motivated biblical archaeology. Say what? what? Are you allowed to say that on PBS? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laying down a marker. Yeah. Well, I mean, but that's one of the things I liked about this this uh, paper. This paper is the it wasn't entirely ass backwards um, from the biblical text and. Let's do some inference, inferring about, you know, 
uh, oblique references and try and coordinate it with stuff that we found. It's like, okay, we've got historical events outside of the Bible, historical figures and, and figurines, <laughs> <laughs> just to be fair. And, and we've got well-excavated sequences, damn it, and 35 olive seeds, olive stones. And let's let's see what we can do in terms of coordinating all of this stuff. Right. And, uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, to solve the chronological problems once and for all using radiocarbon dates. That was yeah, but I don't think they're trying to solve the chronological problems. Exactly. That's the whole point. They're not trying I, to solve problems. They're just trying to lay out. Just the uh, facts, I mean, ma'am. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Someone's charged up. <laughs> we thank it for you this morning. <laughs> Many cups of coffee. <laughs> so, right. It was just laying out the stratigraphy of the new excavations, mm -hmm. sort of loosely tethering them to the HUC excavations, mm -hmm. uh, and then giving greater precision to the um, to the Ortiz-Wolf conclusions, or rather stratigraphy, with dates. And mm -hmm. Right, and with and with history that's not strictly speaking biblical, right? But it's ex extra biblical. Mm -hmm. It's it's biblical plus. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's extra biblical, right? Starting with all of the Egyptian, you know, historical right. texts that we can muster right. for this. So, in other words, really focusing in on Merneptah mm -hmm. and Siamun and Sheshank. And, and correlating, correlating possible destructions um, that are now much better dated, thanks to this paper and seeing how things sort of um, lay out. And uh, the results are very, very commendable. Um, a couple of things that came to me. I, I do want to talk about the Newsweek article yeah. uh, mm, a little, well, a little yeah. bit, because <laughs> that's just a crazy example of, you know, um, trying to get as many people to read an article <laughs> as possible without any correlation of the title to the actual. Um, uh, right, right. Right. Yeah, no, um, I agree. But, this was a very good, solid um, scientific analysis. And then Newsweek just ran with the biblical um, aspects. Right, the word truth and Bible. Two right. words that never should be put in the same sentence. Right. Um, exactly. but, well, I mean, if you have like a little inverted <laughs> commas or whatever they're called over it, but. I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we get a correlation with the C-14 dates and the end of uh, stratum, what is it, 12, and 12B, and the destruction of Merneptah, mm -hmm. um, according to according to the Merneptah stele, who's, where he says he destroyed Gezer. Mm -hmm. um, of course, this is what I wanted to bring up, but I... But um, I'll just do that now, and then you guys can bring up whatever you want to bring up. So Merneptus is kind of a squirrely character. Um, and, and That is his reputation. <laughs> and at the end of the 13th century and beginning of the 12th century, a lot of these Egyptian kings are erasing other na erasing names, putting their names in. Right. And we get a lot of a lot of mishmash. You know, there's been some work. Who by... is the real Slim Shady? <laughs> you could ask. <laughs> there's been some work by Egyptologists to suggest that there is a relief at Karnak that has the Israelites on it. And there's, you know, good cause to support that. And so there's a lot of, you know, 
repurposing <laughs> these reliefs uh, for the aggrandizement of, of specific kings. And of course, on the Merneptah Stele, he said, he says things like, you know, Israel, his, his seed is not. And he was wrong about that. <laughs> Israel's seed was. <laughs> and so, uh, That's a good point. right. And we know that, you know, all of these Egyptian, um, you know, inscriptions are political, uh, you know, political um, rhetoric and uh, a political propaganda. So he may well have destroyed Gezer. I'm not saying he didn't, but I'm also saying I'm also thinking of the destruction of Gezer, where you have, I mean, the destruction of Hatsur, where mm. you have also a really good set of articles uh, talking about who destroyed Hatsur and how some people suggest it could only be the Israelites, but how um, Sharon Zuckerman suggested, well, maybe it was, you know, internecine fighting and, and other elites within Hatsor or other Canaanites themselves. Mm -hmm. And I just can't help but thinking Merneptah might have come to a site that was in the process of being destroyed or destroyed or he learned about it mm -hmm. and took credit for it. And, and maybe it was other Canaanites. Um, and what does destroyed really mean? Well, and that's of course, another topic, another subject. That's so true. I just want to note that political propaganda, what it is, and how it works is, you know, a little bit, uh, like I said, a little bit squirrely. And Merneptah right. is is certainly um, quite capable of taking credit for something that he didn't actually do. Right, for sure, for sure. Um, very important point. Yeah, yeah. And if you did, Which is not to uh, say he didn't destroy it. He may well have destroyed it. And certainly the site, certainly the site was destroyed at the end of the 13th, beginning of the 12th century. About that, we now know is indisputable and now we have good c14 dates for it and that's well, i would dispute that <laughs> now you you guys can bring up what you want to bring up <laughs> um, well, no, the whole idea of destruction is is very i think very destructive right and um you know this idea that uh you that these that these conquering first of all that, that you take political rhetoric political propaganda so literally that you that you either look for a massive destruction layer that's a meter thick that goes across the whole site, and or you look for a little pile of ash in a corner and say, "Ooh, it's the destruction," and you know these kind of mental gyrations um, in, in order to coordinate whatever it is that you think you have with whatever it is that these ancient jamokes <laughs> wanted each other to think that they did um, within or especially within their own tradition. Which nobody else knew about, mm -hmm. um, you know. It's like writing something on the wall at Karnak. Like, who's gonna, who's gonna know? Yeah, who's gonna check? <laughs> right. Yeah, prove it. Right. You know. Even now, we're having a hard time, and we've got five million Egyptologists literally climbing over every single pylon, and and uh, you know, doing very very technical right. analysis and photography and everything else. And the other thing is that uh, you know what what does a destruction really mean? You, you burn down a couple of administrative buildings, the city hall, or whatever, or do you torch the entire site and carry off everybody into exile? Well, you know. Well, okay, but but there are some pretty clear destructions here. Um, the uh, the new excavations, stratum twelve B, uh, 
which can be associated with Mer Neptah, that was destroyed by fire. There were remains of burnt people. Um, so water. that was a pretty good um, destruction. Um, and then there was another interesting destruction um, that was... Which was the one with the legs? The legs? Know. Yeah, they found just some legs. Oh. Uh... That wasn't mentioned in this article, but I remember something about that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's a little macabre. Yeah. No, but then stratum stratum eight. Um, let's see. Yeah, so stratum stratum eight was another. This was the stratum that was destroyed. All the walls fell in the same direction. And there they say that there was very little found within the destruction level. So maybe people were warned, um, which is always an interesting thought. Right. Um, so there are some significant destructions. Um, and the thing well, was significant destructions within the small areas that were excavated by people who have, you know, right. skills as opposed to the 60% of the site, which was literally blown up and turned upside down by a, an Irish lunatic. Well, um, okay. Okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> we don't want our Irish listener to. <laughs> okay. overly sure he... Let me, let me just add this to the hopper. Regardless of how big or small these destructions are, and recently there's been some excellent research on destructions, on these Late Bronze Age destructions um, at, at Lachish, for instance, and maybe that's a topic we want to actually look at because there's mm. been some really excellent work on what it, what these destructions mean and encompass. That implies but, research, though. <laughs> but regardless of all that, one of the most interesting outcomes of all of this is regardless of the destruction, there's always pretty quick turnarounds they're back they're building mm -hmm. right and they're not just building an ephemeral level but you know stratum 11 stratum and this is of course the new stratum number stratum 11 yeah. stratum 7 there's you know there's quick rebuilds on same orientations on different orientations right. uh sometimes they aren't refortifying sometimes they are refortifying regardless the turnaround time from any of these destructions is pretty rapid and the rebuild is pretty substantive. Yeah. So that's specifically to the point of whatever's being destroyed. It's not, um, and it's not an existential crisis because they're <laughs> pretty, pretty damn that's, quick. Right. And, that's that's. And that suggests point. that the however many people are killed is not commensurate with the fact that there's enough people there to to rebuild along the same lines. Right. So, so my question is, um, at some point, you know, so, so Gezer was a Canaanite city, and then at some point it became an Israelite city. Oh. And here, um, they're putting, so stratum 12B is um, where they're associating their neptop. And then 12A, like you're saying, was rebuilt immediately on the same plan, but it's right. apparently iron one, I assume, based on the pottery. Um right. So that's kind of a little weird that whoever these these twelve A people are are rebuilding, um, but they're they if if indeed I'm right and it's based on the pottery, then they're 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 slightly different. Um, Wait, but, but do pots way. equal people this week no. or, or not? Well, um, apparently, apparently, I've been kind of out of it for a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, um, and then and then right afterwards, um, the next level um, up there's um, a totally new plan. Um, so, well, that's more interesting. Right, right, right. right. So, and this, but this follows the Megiddo situation in which we know we have in the 12th century, early 12th century, uh, the re-establishment of a Canaanite city-state. And mm -hmm. we have 
Iron Age Canaanites. And the, right, the only right. question is, how late do we have Iron Age Canaanites? Mm. Right. And from a village perspective, I would say <laughs> we, have, we have Canaanites. For a long know, time. Uh, right, for a long time. And obviously, you know, the northern half of Israel, the northern third of Israel is Phoenician, and those yeah. are just Canaanites. So right. I don't think it's a big deal. I think it just needs to be more fully fleshed out yeah. that, you know, the 12th century is chock filled with lots of Canaanites, which isn't really news, but it's something that doesn't get, you know, said yeah. at least at the popular level too much. Right. It's not right. getting into Newsweek. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think the main, the main takeaway it's it's actually really interesting because it's a very serious scientific article explaining all the developments in uh, radiocarbon analysis, um, et cetera. But if and and the authors, I'm sure, wouldn't like me saying this, but there's a lot of biblical correlations. There's a lot of discussion about can we prove this is you know this is Solomon's job? Can we prove that Merneptah did that? So there is a sort of a surprising amount, enough for the Newsweek um, writers to kind of jump and run with it. Um, it wasn't out of nowhere that it became such a biblically oriented subject um, in the popular culture. Right. But that gets into this, the whole issue of how the biblical narratives relating to the United Monarchy what they mean and how they are mm. fashioned and when they date to. Right. I mean, you know, these are all big open questions that have Very been true. discussed at great length. So, right. 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 But, but on the other hand, um, you know, there's, there's the, yeah. So did it really happen the way it said it happened is a different question from was there a King Solomon? Can we associate any particular archeological material with this semi-mythical King Solomon? Right. And they sort of, at least, the article sort of comes out that there might be some evidence to support a destruction by Sheshonk right. in, the, in sort of the later part of the 10th century. But they're, but they are a little ambivalent. It's not, they're not as, um, they're not coming out as strongly as they are with the correlation with Merneptah. Correct. And that, again, relates to the issue of even with C14 dates, you know, it's a little mushy. You know, you have a right. and, and when you're and when you're trying to coordinate with Egyptian chronology, which is itself a little a little bit mushy, right. a decade here or a decade there makes a big difference. Right. And right. I, I did feel that they were questioning the veracity of the Bible more than they were questioning the veracity of the Egyptian uh -oh. materials. Um right. Yeah. And right. And that's always a tricky thing to and time-consuming kind of point to make in popular audiences that right. we accept Egyptian documents in a the we accept the historicity of Egyptian documents and texts in a, inscriptions in a different way than we do with the Bible. Right, and that's a huge point. Right, that's we a say plus Merneptah existed, and Merneptah knew about Gezer, you know him, you know him. I never met him. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, and. Uh, and we'll be here all week, folks. But, but we don't really know what they know about these places. And again, yeah. this is where I think, yeah, there's a good chance Merneptah destroyed Gezer, but there's also a good chance that he took credit for something that was an internecine 
kind of situation. Yeah. Um, Just so. put that down. <laughs> it's all right. Who's going to check? Right. Who's going to know? Where the well, hell like, is this place anyway? Right. Exactly. And they're right. Yeah. And from the Egyptian end, this is all the evidence that we have. It's not like we have other records of any sort, um, military or diplomatic or or economic, say, which back up these claims. Well, there's or, one. Or, there is one. There is mention of one other Egyptian inscription which mentions Merneptah as being the destroyer of Gezer. Okay, so, but but you, so that, you don't that, have any. You don't right. have any diplomatic documents. No. You don't yeah. have any economic documents saying, right. okay, provision the army for a, uh, right. you know, a trip to Gezer to destroy it. Um, right. We or, don't have any, right. Nothing. There's nothing like that. All you it, see, what you, what you see is what you get on these ridiculous pylons and um, it's pure, pure propaganda. Right. Right. And right. they're very laconic. Right. Um, well, they're they laconic people. Any... If you had birds to write with, that's. <laughs> <laughs> And and you can you can say the same thing about the biblical text that it's it's pure PR for this mythical united monarchy, right. um, but there are facts that get in there. Otherwise, you know, you wouldn't have specific things. Um, and that's exactly it. We have facts slash data, but we will never get to the truth. And of course, the Newsweek article truth with a capital T or a small t. That the Newsweek article had both. <laughs> and and that's something that I think at the popular level there is this sort of I don't I don't know if it's really real or not, but there's always the word the word truth always creeps into stuff. Yeah. And when it comes to archaeology, this is the point I make with my students all the time. It has we have nothing to do with the truth. We're just trying to fashion as accurate interpretations of the data as we can. And let's never use the word truth. Yeah. Right. Well, that, that's that's the whole narr narrative kind of narrative-based sort of conception. <laughs> it, right. it, it almost escapes words. It, right. it transcends <laughs> language itself. <laughs> <laughs> we have to use our mental powers. Um, All right. I, I want to just throw out one last one okay. Last thing. Okay. One last thing. Um, and, and it was towards the end of this of this long piece, which is very good. Again, very, uh, and and it gets very uh, technical. Yeah. But one of the things that that struck me at, towards the end is they they're trying to coordinate Gezer, which is a big hunk in sight comparatively. I mean, for I was going to say it's a big for the southern for the southern, southern Levant. Levant. Right. Yeah. Um. And they're trying to coordinate it with other sites in the region and also in the north of uh, of Canaan. And it's like, oh, well, you know, the iron one here started later than the iron one there. And the, the you know, the, the inner, outer, upper, lower, eastern, southern yeah. Shvela is different from the outer, inner, lower, western, one sixteenth of the Shvela. Right. So coordinating these micro regions, right? I mean, that's we're down to the level of micro regional archaeology in the certainly for the Iron Age, but also from lots of other periods. I mean, uh, for the for the early Bronze Age, for the you know, even for prehistory, for almost every period except yeah. the Middle Bronze Age, because no one seems to be working on the Middle Bronze <laughs> really? Age anymore. Who cares? Well, I guess Tel Shimron is now going to contribute, well, and we'll they have, have that big tunnel thing or whatever right. it is. They have the, um, right. 
so we have but you know we, we're sort of doing micro history very much um and and we're slicing the salami into ever thinner paper thin <laughs> slices and um so what who cares oh oh, right, right, oh right. that what a self-aggrandizing conclusion <laughs> I well, at, I at what point does it become kind of self um self-defeating that and this is something that bill used to say um you learn uh, more and more about less and less until you know everything about nothing right and maybe we've reached that point of singularity i know Uh, i have (laughs) yeah um well that's that's a very interesting point too um i do it was much more fun to talk in generalities yeah (laughs) i I do think that the authors of the archaeology of central asia (laughs) <laughs> you have one site that you know covers you know four thousand square kilometers. <laughs> That's, That's true. Site um, or o- Oceania. Oh, <laughs> I'm I'm going to give my my final thought here, um, okay. which is I think these uh, authors did an excellent job with the science of it, and an excellent job uh, trying to get you know sort of sol- a solid handle on the chronology of the site uh, through C14. Um, I think they hedged their bets a little bit talking about, you know, they didn't, they didn't say there that they don't, they didn't outright state anything about high chronology versus low chronology. Oh, that's a good point. Well, yeah. they did a little I bit because they talked about Hatzael's campaign in the sort of later part of the ninth century is not really fitting into what they have. Right. That's, that's true. They did a little bit. They did a little bit. But they bit. didn't cast it in terms of the chronology wars that right. that decimated our generation <laughs> some 20 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Um, which, you know, I understand the desire to hedge bets, but I, you know, as somebody who, um, you know, all of us are familiar with these chronology wars and I was frustrated. I had to read the end of the article several times to try to figure out which side they were putting themselves in, but they were trying really hard not to put themselves on a side. Um, it's so. not a competition. We're stuck, <laughs> but, but the, the bottom line is we're stuck back in the middle where, where we started. We started, exactly, exactly. And with all these carbon-14 dates, it hasn't really made that much of a difference. Um, but we've had our minds expanded. Right. So that was my final thought. All right. Very <laughs> nice. Doc, Dr. Dessel, all... final thought? We're back, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll go with that. We're We're back. Okay. We're back. All right. Um, Excellent. Okay. Okay. Well, I don't know about you, but this episode makes me happy that history didn't actually end. I mean, where's the fun in that? So anyway, as always, we'd like to thank our music director, the artist still known as Erez Dessel, for our theme music. Look for his performances in the Chicago area and beyond. And why not follow him on Instagram at at 54BPM? We'd also like to thank our new sponsors, Libby, McNeil, and Libby, a world leader in canned food and a subsidiary of Yoyodyne Propulsion Systems. Look for our mascot, Libby the Kid, wherever canned corned beef is sold. And so, to get in touch, leave us a comment right here, or hit the little heart-shaped button, because, as we all know, hearts mean love. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at at this ancient with the little at sign, and on Facebook. Contact us via electronic mail at This Week in the Ancient Near East, as you know, it's all one word, at gmail.com. 
or send us a postcard at P.O. Box 1177, Boston, Mass., 02134.